Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 28 of the Wimlex podcast. We're delighted that Wessel van Eden is in our show today. Wessel is the global marketing director of Just Dig It. Just Dig It makes dry land green again by inspiring and activating farmers in Africa and thus positively impacting climate change. In our show today, that is being hosted by Alexander and Willem, we will talk about how they regreen land and also about the innovative approaches that they have in bringing donators closer to the farmers that dig uh, holes in Africa. And we will also talk about their communication strategies to make the NGO world look a little bit cooler. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we're delighted that Wessel van Ede, the global marketing director of Just Dig It, will join us to talk about sustainability, digital business models and how to disrupt the charity industry. Wessel, very nice to have you on the podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Yes, thanks Willem for having me and Lex. Um, yeah, uh, my name is Wessel van Eden. I am Global Marketing Director for Just Dig It. Um, and previously I was also the Global Marketing Director for a charity called Dance for Life. Amazing. And could you uh, tell us how Just Dig It works? Just Dig It is a, it's a Dutch NGO. It started about 10 years ago with a guy called Peter Westerveld. Um, he unfortunately passed away four years ago, but the west, best way to describe him, he was a crocodile dundee, an artist, a pain in the ass, and, and a genius in, in one person. He was born and raised in Africa, and his father was responsible for the major deforestation of African soils. So as a kid growing up, he learned the local languages, he had a lot of Maasai friends, and he just saw the forest vanishing and vanishing, and he started on a very small scale experimenting with reforestation techniques using ancient um, uh, techniques that have been around for almost thousands of years, but which, which kind of have gotten forgotten in the, in the African history because they don't have a written history as much as a more uh, spoken history. And because of so many changes on the African continent, the, some of these techniques actually have, gotten for, uh, for, have become forgotten and they are now reintroduced. And um, what Just Dig It basically does is, it, to put it very simply, is an automatic way of reforestation. So we turn degraded landscapes that have been degrading over the past hundred years back into lush green environments um, with very simple techniques. So the, the big question then is how? <laughs> yeah, um, there's several techniques, but I think the one that people know us most for is the digging. Um, that's why we have a shovel as our logo. First of all, because it's as old as humanity, so it transcends all languages. Um, but most importantly, it stands for action, because we believe when you look at climate change, because that's our ultimate objective, is to positively impact climate change, the time to talk is over. It's all about action uh, and learning by doing, but not another research, not another conference where we talk about all the issues. I think uh, besides Mr. Trump, the whole world is now aware that we are facing some serious issues when it comes to climate change. Um, and how it works in many um, of the places where we work, actually all around the globe, due to deforestation, overgrazing, uh, and a lo lot of that stuff, the top layer of the soil is becoming so hard, almost like concrete. So when it rains, the water cannot infiltrate into the ground anymore, um, which leads to the water the, 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 that we have uh, just flowing away into rivers, into oceans, uh, causing downstream floodings and damage. Um, so basically what we try to do by digging semicircular bunts, um, or earth smiles as we like to call them, uh, we, we slow rainwater down once it falls um, so that it gets the chance to get into the soil again and in these degraded areas you will see that there are still seeds and sprouts present in the soil and when the water reaches that they automatically regreen large areas of land. 
So there's no additional uh, ingredients uh, necessary when you start digging? No. Yeah, well, you need people and, and shovels. Yeah. And, and, and does it all, uh, is, is it all true, like, if you uh, if you look around here, there's some uh, grass uh, uh, on the ground. So if you just would wait, in, and, and I think the soil here is good enough to, uh, that rain gets in here. Yeah. So if you, if you just wait long enough and nobody, like, uh, um, steps on the grass anymore, Will there be forest uh, ultimately? No, uh, but I don't think we have. Um, in, in the most grass here in the Netherlands and in Germany and I think throughout Europe is planted. Um, so the, 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 the areas where we work in Africa is like the original vegetation. So there's acacia trees, there's shrubs, there's grasses. So there's different kind of seeds and, and uh, things in the soil. Um, but in Europe, unfortunately, we have lost most of the indigenous forest long time ago. Okay. Uh, that, that's interesting to hear because I, I, I would have thought that like the last forest, like uh, I don't know, this was probably water before and it's artificial land here where we are, where we are sitting, but uh, uh, um, I would thought that there's even more um, former forest uh, uh, in the soil than in, than in Africa because I remember a discussion last week I saw on TV because of all the uh, uh, um, uh, burning forests that uh, 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 there was like a specialist for forest asked in the German TV, they say, okay, but the forest we have are like monocultural forests they're much warmer there's no like real real um, self-regulation system if you like compare a mono uh, a monoculture forest with like a real forest so to say it's like 50 degrees colder even in summer much better like in self uh, regulation so and, and then what i would ask okay if you like rebuilding forests not only maybe in africa but in, in other uh, uh, in other parts of the world, maybe even in Holland, uh, uh, even though it's, uh, it's it's not that easy, uh, um, and digging is not enough, how should it be done? Well, I think in the European context, um, there is quite a lot of green, uh, even though countries like Spain and Italy are also becoming small deserts, especially the south of Spain is terrible, and it's also yeah really a big problem there for agriculture and for many things. Uh, and I have to be honest, I'm not the forest specialist when it comes to European context. I know a lot about the African context, but it is a global problem, deforestation. And the less, less vegetation we have, the less carbon is being se sequestered. That's why it adds to global warming. And now with the Amazon uh, burning and with the forest in Siberia burning, of course, that's leading to a lot of carbon being put into the air again. But we've, we focus on Africa because there's the hugest potential for restoration because you have large plots of land which are still able to restore and in Europe of course the, the, the amount the size of land and the price at what it comes to restore that is not that big compared to Africa. And is there um, is there enough rain? So because my, my impression of deforestation was that because of uh, limits, uh, uh, limited water supply, uh, no. especially because there was not enough rain, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the forest uh, um, um, disappeared. In no, the first place. That, that's one of the biggest misconceptions about uh, deforestation. Actually, the amount of rain in the areas where we work, for example, in Kenya, is only 10% less than here in the Netherlands and Germany, in millimeters. Biggest difference is it falls in a very short period of time. It's very intense and people just sit around, wait for the rains to be over. And then when it's over, they go out, but then the rain is already gone. But the amount of rain is enough. It's actually in some areas even more than in Germany and Tanzania. Some areas get more rain than Germany, although they are completely degraded and, and hot. So, but it's not the, the, the amount of rain, it's the small intense period in which it falls. And these periods used to be very predictable. So you could say, okay, the small rain season, big rain season, but due to climate change, that's now also yeah. really fluctuating. So the people don't know when to, to, to put their uh, agriculture into the soil. They don't know when to harvest. It's really a difficult thing for them. But um, again, there are very simple techniques, very cost efficient, very scalable to bring back vegetation on a large scale.
So, so you you clearly explain the problem. You also have a solution at hand, and then it, it's about the taxi, tactics of delivering those solutions. You need farmers to work with Just Dig It to yeah. to dig the holes and and report back to you on the work they've done. Yeah. Um, verbal storytelling is key in Africa. How, how do you reach farmers? Um, we work. As an NGO, we tried to work, uh, when we started, through government bodies. That didn't work very well. Of course, there's a lot of cliches about working with government bodies in Africa, but we work closely with the communities who actually own the land. So, for example, in Kenya, we work with Maasai group ranches, and these group ranches are very big. You have to imagine it's half the size of the Netherlands can be one group range. Um, and they own the land, and they have given up on big parts of their group range. So when we come to them with a an, with an solution, at first they were quite skeptical. They were like, well, who are these Dutch people with their ideas? But then we said, okay, give us a small plot. Let's demonstrate how easy it is. We'll pay you for digging the buns just to get you started. And of course that helps if you give a financial incentive. But now, um, after they've seen the amazing results, they've actually decided to, to dig more buns and we don't have to even have to pay them directly in some areas. In some other areas we're starting and we still have to pay them. But they see the benefits of the restored land. They get more crop yields, they get more vegetation, there's more water retention. So it's, it's good in many, in many aspects. But um, communicating with farmers in Africa is uh, actually a bit similar to the way the world works here. People always have this idea that Africa is, is very behind when it comes to communication, but actually the large percentage of people owns a phone and even in like bigger, bigger percentages actually have a smartphone. Um, and that's also why we're uh, so happy that we have now developed a platform, which I think uh, you know about, um, that is allowing us to communicate with farmers one-on-one -on -one, and which is also allowing us to pay them directly. So there's no middleman, no big money-wasting um, uh, operation. There's a really one-on-one -on -one connection with the people around the world who want to donate small amounts to make a big difference. And, and so basically you're trying to uh, get the supplier the supply and demand together yeah. in that platform? It's and a marketplace. It's a marketplace. Yeah. And uh, could you explain a little bit more about how that marketplace works? We see that, especially, I hate the word, but millennials, let's say the young people around uh, Europe, um, they want to do something good. Um, they are very committed to, to the state of the, our planet, but they feel that some of the more traditional NGOs have big budgets for big projects, which are very top-down organized. So they feel if I donate five euro to a 10 million euro project, where does that actually go and how does that help? Do I pay someone's salary, someone's plane ticket or someone's Jeep or is it actually going to the impact that I'm trying to, to achieve? So we feel that there's a need for donation 2.0, if you will, a lot of transparency. And that's why we're together we have developed this platform whereby there's a 100% model. So for three euro 30, you can buy an earth smell. So one of these things that we dig. And besides some international transaction costs, 100% of that donation actually goes to the impact, to the farmer who's actually digging it and for the maintenance of the bunds. So zero euro cent stays with the Just Dig It organization. And on top of that, the farmer can use his phone to, 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 to measure the impact. So there's no need for people who control them and stuff like that. It's really a tech infrastructure which allows the farmer to take a picture. He digs the bunt, he takes a picture, it's uploaded into the system, it's approved or denied. And then when it's approved, it's connected to a donor in, let's say, in the Netherlands or in Germany. And then the money is directly transferred through M-Pesa, which is like the um, African way of payment. And that goes through mobile phones. So there's a 100% donation model there. And then the people who actually donate it get a 100% personalized picture of their little contribution to regreening Africa, which hopefully they will share on social media, of course. So, so basically, if I'm uh, here in the Netherlands and I want to make impact, 
I go to your platform. I say, want to donate 10 buns. And yep. then uh, 33 euros paid, 10 holes are being dug in Africa. And, and over what period of time do I get this feedback if the work is done and when it's regreened? Yeah, you, we actually we use Facebook. We have two things. We have a mobile uh, website because we didn't want to do a new app here because of the install base. People don't want to install new apps. So we use uh, Facebook Messenger as the platform to which we communicate. First of all, you get a, uh, when you buy 10 buns, uh, you get a message. Hey, um, your, your buns have been dug, uh, accompanied with the pictures of the specific buns that you have dug with the locations and everything with it. But then we take you on a whole storyline where if there's rain, if there's an elephant stepping on your bund or anything that's, that's newsworthy or that you want to know and that's shareable, we share with you through this platform. And, and uh, the bund, how, how big is it? Because for listeners, what, they need something they can, they can think about. Let's say it depends we, we, on the slope, uh, uh, the, the slope and on the soil type. But on average, you can say it's about six meters wide and about half a meter deep. And how many trees will, will grow in there? It, there's not a, you can't say one bunt is six trees. What we can say is every bunt will, um, uh, let's say in, in, in Kenya, we have now regreened a uh, thousand hectares using this method. And every year, one billion liters of water is mean, being made available subsurface because of these bunts. And in each bunt, vegetation will grow. And depending on where it is, it will be either an acacia tree, it will be a shrub, it will be anything that's originating there. When did, you, when did you start it? So is there any, any trees already or is it like only very slow, low vegetation? Yeah, depends on your definition of a tree. But uh, let's say large shrubs are now, acacia grows quite quickly. So the first trees are actually there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, um, it's six meters wide, half meter deep. So, uh, and then, okay, because when you said like three euro per band, I thought you say just for like two shovels of uh, um, style that seems to be expensive for six meters wide half meter deep that's like the average pool uh, from a dutch uh, from a dutch household with a pool i would say there's not too many of those but uh, now it's smaller than a pool but let's say six meters wide um, it takes one a person and you have to keep in mind this soil is like concrete so it's mm. really hard labor uh, it takes one person about uh, uh, two and a half hours to dig one Okay, then three euros is uh, uh, doesn't sound it's, so. It's decent. We have really. Okay. It's, it's really difficult because you don't want to overpay people because then there's an economic impact on other infrastructure. So we really made a, a lot of research into what is the exact amount for hard labor, what's fair, and we went a little bit over that to make it attractive for the people to join the the, the digging community. Okay. And the average farmer, like the ones you you pay them with, like the African payment system. So how, how, what is like his potential even though it sounds like a venture capitalist <laughs> <laughs> now we put a cap because uh, they can only dig 10 buns a day uh, also because the, after that they have to get rest and you don't want to have people who are in financial need digging day and night that's not what we want and we want the quality of the buns to be good so we, we really said you can dig 10 and we made sure that the payment that they receive for digging 10 buns is completely in line with a very good wage for this kind of labor and how do you monitor this how do you monitor if a bunt is good there are we do it in project teams and every Bun fraud that's a new work yeah. <laughs> <laughs> el bundy yeah. now we have we have fundis as we call them in place who are uh, seeing the buns digitally but are also in the field so one uh, bundy uh, one fundi takes care of a lot of farmers so he's just in the field checking the buns with his own eyes but also digitally so there's a there's a control mechanism in place but it's not 
um, a very expensive asset. So you don't need like control on every farmer because of the digitalization which we are able to develop. A lot of that 90% can be seen like digitally, and then if there's doubt, they go physically to the field and they say, okay, you need to change what, this. What is what is the what is the perception of the farmer uh, 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 when when I would ask them today about your your service, and tomorrow comes like the palm oil industry and say I would like to buy the bund uh, out for six euros per bund, what would he do? He wouldn't do it. No, no, because we have made uh, it's not up to the farmer. So these are group ranches. They have long-term grazing uh, management plans in place, sustainable land management plans, which they actually sign. So it's law. It's not something they voluntarily do. It's actually a 10-year mm. plan, 20-year plan, in which these people commit to having certain interventions and management in the in this landscape. Oh, okay. But 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 aren't you afraid of like other uh, industries like the palm oil industry or like now Chinese? Uh, the Chinese government is known for like buying uh, uh, big parts of of African soil to uh, to grow stuff on there. I would keep is that your competition? Yeah, to some extent. I mean, of course, the, 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 the fertile soil is one of the scarcest resources we have on our planet. But I would say even closer, like the, the tulip and the, the flowers that are uh, there, they take a lot of water out of the system. So that's not even the Chinese, that's mostly Dutch, actually. <laughs> but I, I mean, in the long run, these people have a culture that is thousand years old. They don't want to grow palm trees. They want to be farmers. They want to be agricultural specialists. So they, 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 that's what they want to do. That's what their parents did, their grandfathers. So that if you can help them in doing that, which was very hard for them because of the quality of the soil, this matches with their culture. I'm just questioning this because like, w when it comes to money, history usually doesn't count. So when there's like another incentive that makes them uh, uh, refilling the bond with whatever, like uh, we have like a... Um, um, uh, a trash problem, for example, in, in Europe. Uh, then there's another competition that can be created. And then, oh, oh let let let's phrase me that in another way. You say you've uh, you've managed now 1,000 hectares. Is there like an unlimited supply of uh, of farmer that could do it? Would you say you can even go up to like a million, 10 million, 100 million hectares? 537 million farmers living in sub-Saharan Africa who are all owning uh, on average one acre of land. Um, and yeah, so there's pretty much an indefinite supply. I mean, nothing's indefinite because we live in a, in a boundary uh, planet, but for many, many years to come and for millions and millions of buns, we can uh, scale up. How many buns per hectare you can make? I know Dep it sounds very ridiculous, but I no, really it, it depends. It. It's a good question. It really depends. So there's not like a one silver bullet answer to that. It depends on how many trees are actually there. Are there mm. rocks? Is there mountain formation? So mm. it's, it's not a, a, a one answer a hectare is so many buns. That really depends on where we are doing it. But if like it's, it's perfect soil, can you get a bund over bund over bund? Like it's like no. place to it next hour? I would always like to say it's a podcast, but if you see the visual, you would understand. It's, it's basically like a water catch, capture. Mm. Uh, and so when it overflows, the next one has to be positioned exactly in a way that when the water flows over it becomes into the next one and uh, then into the next one and then so it's not like you dig any random bunt it's real that's the part that just dig it actually does come up with the design mm. so if the slope is in this direction yeah, let's say the bunts always have to face the slope so that when the water falls if it's catch, caught by the bunts it's allowed to go subsurface but when it rains really hard it overflows comes into the next bunt same system so it's sort of a slow down the water uh, that's the main thing you explained us about the platform yet you've developed, the marketplace where you connect farmers to donators. Yeah. Um, you're a charity, um, and I know, well, we helped you develop this platform. I can imagine that you are operating in a broader ecosystem with more partnerships in place to help you let the world know, for example, uh, about the great cause that you're fighting, and um, maybe also in uh, your work you do in Africa. So. Could you elaborate a little bit more about your partner network and how you reach your target audience? 
I think uh, what, what really sets us apart from a lot of the more traditional NGOs that we believe in the world today is so connected. And even no matter if you're a charity or a brand, if you're trying to sell a bottle of water or a bunt, you have to communicate your product or your service to people. So we are very proud that um, besides the partnership with Debt, who actually came up with uh, the platform and all infrastructure, we also have a global partnership with JC Deco, with Havas, um, with many media houses who give us media space for free. But not media space like, oh, give us me a free media space and we'll uh, raise some funds for, for another project. No, it's really, especially in Africa, it's all about getting awareness. And, and you talk about the four, 537 million farmers. If you were somehow 537 able million farmers? In Sub-Saharan Africa, smallhold wow. farmers. And yeah, one hectare per farmer? One acre per farmer. One acre. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that's a huge potential. And these people live of their own acre. So if you can somehow use communication in any form possible, whether it's radio, which is very powerful in Africa, but can be billboards, can be television, can even be online, phones, what have you. If you can use that to, to get that message across and to show the added value for them for these simple interventions, because eh, they're really simple, that you don't have to go to a 10-week course to learn how to do it. It's a very practical solution. Then um, that communication provided to us is actually converting into actual regreening, and that's where we believe our theory of change is: not to raise funds to have a bunch of mazungus, as we are called over there, do some work there and then leave again, because then there's no ownership. But really to communicate like a brand towards the, the, the stakeholders, the farmers, to actually try and get them to do it themselves, and that's the real big scaling, upscaling theory that we have. One acre is a tenth of a hectare. I have to. I'm, I'm not. The, the, we have acres and hectares, and uh, it's, it's smaller than a hectare. That's what okay. I know for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. And 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 you're explaining the way you reach the African farmers with mm -hmm. uh, communication means that fit well with African lifestyle, um, radio, phones, uh, more uh, above the line media, and maybe even some storytelling. Uh, how, how does it work in Europe for you? What, what communication methods are you using to reach me as a potential donator? Um, a bit similar, but the only big difference is that in Europe it's more still what a, a bit more of a traditional message whereby we can only show. A lot of people don't know that vegetation is... Uh, there's a recent scientific study that shows that if we were to regreen what's left to regreen on our planet, yep. which is exactly twice the size of Europe or the size of China, because I've just learned recently that China and Europe are at exactly the same size. It varies like a few hundred thousand square kilometers. The one is 9. million square kilometers, the other is 10 million square kilometers. If we were to regreen that, we would mitigate global warming by carbon sequestration by 40%. It's 37 or 14, some st studies. But anyway, uh, close to half of global warming can be mitigated by bringing back vegetation. But it's not only that, it's food, it's water, it helps for migration, it's livelihoods, education providers, economic development. It's like almost the holy grail of, of uh, development and it's such a simple thing in, in the high-tech world that we live in and actually a low-tech thing can actually be the biggest biggest opportunity we have besides doing all the other good things eh? like i know you're into vegan promotion so it's very important that people don't eat too much meat there's a lot of stuff renewable energy wind solar and stuff like that but only doing that is not going to cut it so we really have to restore nature and do all those other things as well and then there's a roadmap now, which is being developed by the World Resource Institute, that if we do all of that, there's not only a theory, but now also a roadmap to a climate-neutral planet in 2050. And, and, and uh, still, uh, that's a story that, that I would buy, but maybe not all donators who are giving to their current charity. So how do you convince, convince them, besides the message, to switch? Are there specific media channels you use? Or is this disruptive platform, that uh, the marketplace you developed, is that... Uh, with the transparency argument, is that what they buy? 
I hope so, because we're launching the platform yeah. this month. So I cannot say too much about the effectiveness of the platform. Besides that, it took a long time to to buy it, to to build it with you guys. So it's I think we really optimized it. We went to Africa to check it a few times. Um, just for the record, it's completely funded by a corporate, uh, which I think is important to say that we're not spending donation money on developing uh, technical support. And we, of course, we got a lot of support uh, from that by that as well. I think it's a mix of things. So we really believe in the power of storytelling, producing high quality content, which has a very, we always do it from a positive tone of voice. So we're not about, oh, the Amazon's burning and uh, the world's going to pieces. We got to do something. No, it's always from a positive solution. Like, look, nature-based solutions can mitigate global warming for 40%. Here's a project before, after, you can see the difference. It's very cheap investment, like three euro 30 for a bunch. Again, is I think a very small donation. So seeing is believing is really what we believe in, but it's a mixture of things. I wouldn't say there's one silver bullet solution. It's about a mixture of communication channels having the right ambassadors uh, helps a lot uh, yeah, like Desmond Tutu like Desmond, that Tutu. Desmond Tutu is one of your ambassadors how, how do you get Desmond Tutu uh, that's <laughs> a long story he, he was in my previous project he was our patron uh, really? Dance for Life project which was a HIV AIDS awareness tra um, charity and, and he, we just took him along with us basically so Dennis the co-founder of Just Dig It and myself went to him said look this is what we are planning to do and he said oh I love it I'm going to join you again I will try it. When is the platform it's going to be live? Well, I just spoke to Kuhn, the, the guy who's in charge of the whole project here on behalf of Debt, and he says it's today it's finished. So um, we are launching it, uh, well, as soon as possible, as far as I'm concerned. But um, okay. I will commit three in advance. So I will buy some. 300? Uh, yes, 300. Okay, yeah. I'll put you down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, will, I will try it out. I'd like to, I'd like to learn about, about it. Cool. And, cool. and you're um, in the power of storytelling. You, you set up a, an NGO before, uh, yep. Dance for Life in which you organized global dance events to make people aware of the HIV crisis and how yeah. we could solve that. You're doing a similar thing now with Rain Dance. Yeah. Uh, how does that work? It's a bit different because um, Dance for Life was uh, well reasonably successful because we, we were the first charity that actually worked with the, the, the DJs. So we started out in 2003 and because at that point electronic dance music industry was still a bit like slippery slope for, for many of the NGOs. So when we reached out to the Tiestos and the Fed Grants, they all said yes because there was the first charity who actually reached out to them and Dance for Life obviously matched. But the events we organized with Dance for Life were actually part of the educational program. So any kid who was in our educational program got a free ticket to the Gelredome in the Netherlands or in Germany in, in big locations. At the uh, top we were in 22 countries dancing simultaneously and we connected these events via satellite, all the kids were dressed in white. But it was a part of the educational program. Um, now with the Rain Dance Project, it's more of an awareness raising, sort of a live aid uh, setup, yeah. where it's all about just getting the message out that nature-based solutions is one of the biggest uh, solutions there is. And when will Rain Dance take place? Well, today on the Dead Festival, we'll give a sneak preview. So we have uh, the Flexicon playing here, but actually uh, next week, Saturday, is our, uh, well, it's a, it, we call it a pilot, but it's almost a bit of an insult to call it a pilot. We'll have simultaneous events in the Vondelpark here in Amsterdam with the Jeugd van Tegenwoordig, Donnie Naaskat underscore, many artists performing for free, but also André Kuipers, the astronaut, Floortje Dessing. So a lot of people who are committed to our charity will give uh, active presence. And at the same time, there will be uh, events in rural Ken Kenya and rural Tanzania in the places where the projects are actually taking place. So here again, it's a fundraising, awareness raising um, uh, proposition, but there it's really to reward the people who have been active in regreening the land, to celebrate their achievements, but also to look ahead at what still needs to be done. Don't dance in the band. <laughs> Dancing in the bus, that's not a good idea. <laughs> cool, it, it, it's, a, it's, a very, uh, it's a very amazing, it's a very amazing story. I hope you're, uh, you're uh, the 
online marketing strategies uh, will uh, will work out so that you will reach enough people. I hope the show uh, will help you to reach a, a couple of people. I'm very interested to see, like, uh, if I buy a couple of hundred buns, uh, to see, like, pictures and updates uh, yeah. uh, from the elephant to stepping in the bun. Um, that is actually, uh, I, I was there not too long ago. I mean, we had 40 giraffes walking right oh over yeah? them. Yeah, so this was, uh, on the one hand, a beautiful sight, but also like, no! <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it is an animal uh, yeah. corridor area. Um, so, yeah, but it's really good to see that specific species of wildlife are now actually returning to these areas because of the green. The ups and downs of a bun. It's very funny what you can make out of a yeah. bun. <laughs> it is, but the good thing is it's a one-off intervention. So once the vegetation returns, the, yeah. the root structure makes sure that when it rains, the water can still go into the ground. And um, I'm glad to announce that, uh, um, I don't know if commercial branding is okay on your podcast. Yeah, it's fine. Yesterday, we launched a global partnership with Timberland. So they're going to be bringing back 10 million trees in the coming five years together with us. Uh, and uh, we just through the band system no they do a different technique in uh, Tanzania um, but uh, it's comparable uh, it, uh, I can go into it if you want to but it's no, 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 it's, it's, it's okay. comparable it's if you want to see it go to just dig it with double it's all on there but I think it's really cool to see that a big consumer facing corporate is actually stepping up now not only doing it from a CSR yeah. but really from a purpose perspective to make this happen and we see a lot of that huh? like companies who are really at the forefront I think if you look at depth as well you have so many young people working for you it's really important for young people to have a purpose and not some CSR like, oh, we give our chairman of the board some check and he gives it to some poor old charity. And no, really to look at the product or service that you're selling and to find impact that you can realize in the world. So uh, that's really cool. And then uh, the next thing, and that is related to the bonds, for the first time in our tenure existence, we have gotten a subsidy from the Green Climate Fund, which is a fund that all of us pay together. It's the biggest fund when it comes to climate change. There's a few billion uh, euros in there. And we are going to upscale the bonds and the grass seed banks that we do in Kenya the coming five years with their money. So we just got that in as well. It's a cool. scoop. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Amazing, wow. amazing story. So I'm eager to share it then on, uh, on the Wolf Show. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much for being in our show, Vessel. Thank you for having me, guys. It's an honor. And uh, well, yeah. um, I love I the guess setting, there's going to the be a lot of bun jokes in the future, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're with it. Thank well, you. we're still looking for a good name. Ursmao, I have some discussions with my colleagues. Yeah. So if anybody of the listeners has a good yeah. name for a semicircular, yeah. moon shaped intervention that actually makes the earth smile, I love earth smile, yeah. but please send it. We're Leave happy. it in the comments or send it to vessel at justdigit.org. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.